0: All right, you get to keep on listening to my hoarse voice. I'm probably thinking about it more than you are, so I'll just stop talking about it. But if you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 16, and we're going to be in verses 17 and 18 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, then get one of the black Bibles on the end of each pew, and I believe it's on page 950 in that Bible. And you can just keep that one for yourself if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible for yourself. Uh, let's read this together, Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. This is a passage that's very similar to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 and 16 Jesus said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits now it's you you can imagine a a wolf wearing a sheep costume it would actually look kind of silly wouldn't it and if you were paying attention then you would notice that that looks kind of silly but if nobody was looking for that And you just kind of said, okay, here's a whole bunch of sheep going through and and they all got sheep stuff on them. I mean, you're not paying attention. It's going to just breeze right through, right? But what does Jesus say? He says, beware. He says, look for this. If you're looking for this, then here's what you're to do. You are to recognize them by their fruits. And that's the same thing that Paul is telling the church in Rome in this letter at this point, And the same thing that he's telling the church in Matawan in this letter at this point is, be watchful. Be watchful for this. There's a number of things that the Bible tells us to be watchful about. We're supposed to watch over our own soul and to see where we might be straying from the truth or straying into sin. We're to watch for the coming of Christ. But this is one of the things that we're to watch out for as Christians is to watch that there will be those who present themselves as part of the flock, as sheep who would have nice things to say, but inwardly are ravenous wolves and false teachers. And he says, look for their fruits. Look to their words, look to their actions, know them by their fruits. Now sometimes there may be somebody like Judas who has a really, really good sheep costume. But eventually Judas's fruit showed what was really going on. And this is the case. And so Jesus tells us to watch Paul is bringing that same warning to the church here, and he says that there's been a lot of people to welcome. Now you may remember, if you were here last week, that that we went through this whole long list of of names of people that Paul sent his greetings to. You know, greet this person, greet this person, greet this person who, who went to prison with me, greet this person who has been a faithful servant in the Lord, and then he told them in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. And so there's that kind of of Christian love and loving one another that's displayed there. But then he kind of breaks off right here. It almost seems like a sharp break, but it makes perfect sense if you're thinking about it. Where he's saying, but wait a second. There are going to be some that you don't just naively greet, that you don't just naively bring in. There are going to be some who are there to try to split people away from the gospel. Don't greet them. Avoid them. That's what Paul says here. That's the context of where we are, and we need to heed those warnings. Now, there's nothing in the letter of Romans that suggests that false teaching is a big problem that they're dealing with currently at the time in this situation of this letter, but Paul always warns the churches about this when he writes to them. There are some churches that he writes to where false teaching is rampant, like the churches in Galatia. And he gets straight to it at the beginning of Galatians, that he is worried about their salvation because so many of them have have found this false gospel appealing that, that is spreading all over the churches of Galatia, and he warns them right up front. That's kind of what the whole letter of Galatians is about. Here in Romans, it doesn't seem to be a big problem, but he does tell them, hey, this could be a big problem. This is something you need to watch for. And so we need to watch for it too. Same kind of situation at First Baptist Church of Madawan. I personally, probably you too, are not aware of anybody who's, who's actively spreading false teaching against the gospel at First Baptist Church of Madawan right now. And I am grateful for that. Praise God for that. But just like the church in Rome needed to know but watch for it, First Baptist Church of Madawan needs to know, but watch for it. This is something that can happen. This passage, by the way, is not about all Christians who have something wrong in their thinking or all Christians who have something wrong even in their conduct. Right? It is possible for there to be people who have errors that can be corrected. Right? There's a difference between, oh, I got something wrong and I am leading people astray and seeking to divide them off from the gospel. I'll just give you an example. Um, Paul says in in Colossians 3.16 that we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. He says in in Romans 14.15 that we instruct one another. That's the kind of thing that's supposed to happen when there's error. If if there was somebody uh, who was, was talking to you about the Trinity, a fellow church member, and it sounded like that fellow church member had a wrong understanding of the trinity maybe they were thinking of the trinity almost as three gods who have different levels and interact with each other as three beings or something like that well that's called tritheism that that's a serious error but that doesn't mean that that person is a heretic it just means that they're an error and so they need to be corrected and need to be able to to have people help them think rightly about who God is, which is one God, only one God, one God in three persons, one substance in three subsistences. If you want to use that language, that's in the, the 1689 Confession. And so we we can correct each other, we can help each other. But what what if there are those who would then say, "No, you're wrong about that. I think it is three gods, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start." telling people this. I'm going to start winning people over to my side. I'm going to write some 20-page papers that I'm going to distribute to the people in the church to show them that, yes, there's three gods. You, then we got a serious problem. right? That's not just somebody in error. That's somebody who is trying to draw people off from the truth of the gospel and draw them into something that does not save. And so Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 5.1, or is it 421? Right there at the end. He says, what do you wish, shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Well, what he's saying there is that there are sometimes when there's errors that you come to them in love with a spirit of gentleness. And there's other times that there's errors that you come to them in love with a rod out of love for the flock that needs to be protected. And so what Paul is warning about in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18 is that there are times in the lives of churches when there must be those who are dealt with in such a way as to protect the flock from them, from the false teachings that they would bring in. So what we're told here is just two verses that we're looking at. But let's look at, at, first of all, some of the characteristics of false teachers that are brought out in these verses. And then after we look at some of the characteristics then we'll look at some of the instructions that Paul gives for what to do in situations like that. It says in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. He says, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They use smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the naive When he says this here about causing divisions and creating obstacles, this kind of calls back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men." That ungodliness has to do with not knowing and worshiping God properly as God. That unrighteousness has to do with the things that would flow out of that in all kinds of unrighteous actions and failure to love neighbor. There is failure to love God. There's failure to love neighbor. It comes out in all of it, and that's brought out here in this idea of causing divisions and creating obstacles, that there is ungodliness in dividing people away from right doctrine, and there is obstacles in these scandalous things that may be done uh, contrary to right doctrine. So one of the characteristics of those who would be false teachers that Paul is bringing out is they divide people away from right doctrine. That's what he says when he, that's what he means when he says they cause divisions. Now when we say cause divisions, sometimes people think of causing divisions as, as sort of like, well, we're we're just going to have a group within the church that that gets together and eats chocolate ice cream. And, and we'll talk, you know, we're gonna have the chocolate ice cream home group. And people who like vanilla ice cream, they should probably go to a different home group. Okay? Now that's not a healthy way to behave. It's really not. But the, that's not the kind of division that he's talking about here. The kind of division that he's talking about here is those who cause divisions and then connect that grammatically to, to the doctrine that you have been taught. It, this is talking about those who would take people who uh, have have proclaimed who, who have professed faith in jesus christ who professed to believe the gospel of jesus christ and are trying to divide them away to some other doctrine trying to say okay the church is teaching you this but i'm going to tell you what's really true you know the church is teaching this but they don't emphasize this one point that's in the bible very much do they i'm going to emphasize that point so i'm the one that you should follow and listen to all these other insights that i have that's one of the tactics that's very, very common. And, and, and so trying to split people off from, from the rest of the flock by dividing them away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this means by causing divisions. It is an ungodliness. It's a failure to love God according to his word and to try to seek to, to get other people to go after those errors as well. It's true that there can be times when a division in a church is a healthy division. Now, why do I say that? It's because Paul said that. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, I should clarify, it's not really a healthy division because there shouldn't be non-believers who are part of the church. But when he says this to the church at Corinth, he's saying, this is what's going on. You have some in the church who are genuine believers and you have others who are goats. And it's going to be natural if there are sheep and goats mixed together in the church that the sheep are going to get together and the goats are going to get together. And he says, this is something that is necessary so that those who are genuine in their faith may be recognized. And so it it is a natural division for there to be a division between those who actually repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who don't. But the kind of division that we don't want is where people are trying to draw people off to that goat side. Come on, come away from the gospel, come away. When there's a splinter group within the church that's forming around falsehood it is not the duty of the rest of the church to say well let's just agree to disagree so that we can maintain unity the duty of the rest of the church is to say let's expose the falsehood for what it is so that we can maintain unity around the gospel see this is the, this is the true source of Christian unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ If we were to get to a point where we were saying, oh, people are splitting off from the gospel, but we want to maintain unity, so we'll just say that we have other things in common. We'll find some kind of common ground somewhere so that we can have unity. That's not unity. That that is affirming false doctrine that will lead people to hell out of a sense of trying to be nice to each other. And that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to unify around the true gospel of jesus christ the same church in rome that received this letter even though they weren't dealing with any false doctrine at this point sad to know that this same organization eventually was taken over by division by divisive heretics that transformed that organization into what today is called the roman catholic church If you look at what the Roman Catholic Church teaches today, and you look at the gospel that's taught in the book of Romans, it's pretty plain to see that is not the same gospel. The intention of Martin Luther, the intention of lots of the other Protestant reformers, it wasn't originally to break away from the Roman Catholic Church. It was to try to help the Roman Catholic Church to return to the doctrines of God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that are taught in this letter to the church at Rome but that hope it got dashed in the late 1500s at the thing called the Council of Trent which was the place where even though there had been all kinds of errors in all kinds of ways that was the place where the church in Rome said everybody who believes in that gospel of God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone is hereby anathematized that is still official Roman Catholic teaching That if we hold to the gospel that is preached in the book of Romans, that we preach in this church, that we are anathema. That just shows you the sad thing that this church needed to be on the lookout for that. And yet we see that it's fallen into such error today. Now, I'm not going to go through and talk about every single error that the Catholic church has, but I will just say this. If you've ever been to a Catholic funeral, you know that they preach a different gospel than the Bible you know that what they say at the catholic funeral and I've heard it multiple times is this person was baptized and by that they mean they were they were sprinkled with this you know by by a priest as a baby and in their baptism they were born again and they preach that that being born again washed away their original sin and so therefore, we have confidence that this person in the casket in front of us today will one day be in heaven, by which they mean this person is probably suffering in the flames of an imaginary place called purgatory for a while right now. But eventually they're going to get to heaven because the Catholic Church dispensed to them from the, uh, from the treasury of merit, uh, this, this merit of, of washing away their original sin at their baptism. That is not the gospel. That's another gospel. If we were to give people assurance, the way to go to heaven is to accept this thing that the church can do for you in this ceremony, we're sending people to hell. And that's what's happening. And so we need to be aware of that. Part of the reason that I'm telling you this is because of the church that received this letter, but also because it is so common for us in this area that is so heavily Catholic, because we love so many of our neighbors and our family members who are in that institution, it's so common to want to say, well, let's just agree to disagree. Let's just get along. And they're saying nice things about Jesus. And so we're probably on the same page. Guys, that's the kind of smooth talk and flattery that deceives the hearts of the naive that it says right here. We have to be aware of this. We have to know, and it's a sad thing. Uh, Like I said, I'm not going to go through every every false teaching of the Catholic Church, but if you want to go through more of them, there's a book that uh, is usually in the book. Note there might be a copy in there right now uh, by R.C. Sproul called Are We Together? And I highly recommend that book. But another thing that it says here, not just that they cause divisions, meaning splintering people away from the gospel, but also they create obstacles to right doctrines or another way to put that is they create scandals they have scandalous conduct they have unrighteousness this creating obstacles it probably has to do mainly with sins that these people would commit and claim that they are not sins and by doing so what what's going to happen well people who are not firm in their faith are going to see that and think oh well that guy sure seems confident when he says the name Jesus and reads the Bible verse and, and, and he seems really confident in his sexual immorality too and so so maybe it's okay. You see what's happening here is that that kind of conduct is just putting this big rock right in front of those who are, are not mature in their faith that they're going to stumble over and be harmed by. And that That's the picture here of creating obstacles. And he says this is a, a common mark of false teachers. Jesus warns against this really, really sternly about causing these little ones to stumble. And when Jesus talks about causing the little ones to stumble, He's not just talking about causing children to stumble. He's talking about causing any of God's children to stumble. These little ones. Jesus says in Matthew 18, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So what do we do? Well, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Hmm. It kind of makes you think, hey, I don't want to just be on, on lookout for those who cause people to stumble. I don't want to be somebody who causes uh, these little ones to stumble. Let's not do that. If you have these things in your life that you say, this is causing me to sin, cut it off. Get it out of here, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ that you could lead into serious spiritual damage. This this kind of stumbling blocks, when Paul explains this in other books of the Bible, it, you, you find out that it can actually come on two ends of the spectrum. One is immorality, and the other is asceticism wondering what asceticism is let me talk about the immorality first the immorality he says in ephesians 5 verses 5 through 7 you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god let no one deceive you with empty words So that kind of sexual immorality, that covetousness. Where do we see that sexual immorality played up by false teachers? Well, you see it all over the place in Protestant liberalism, don't you? You see it from the Vatican a few weeks ago with this idea that priests ought to be blessing same-sex unions. You see it in all kinds of places. Sexual immorality, deceiving with empty words about that. You see those who are deceiving with covetousness. When they go on TV and they read you a Bible verse, and they say, "Send me a thousand dollars of seed money, and God is going to give you ten thousand in return." they are stirring up covetousness by that prosperity gospel and he says they're doing that by that that kind of immoral talk with these empty words, but on the other end of it, these stumbling blocks could come through asceticism. What do we mean by that well I, let me just read you Colossians chapter two verses 18 through 23. I'll skip, a, uh, skip some of, of that as I read, but he says, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Why do you submit to regulations do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are perished as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have an, indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. see what this would be? This would be creating a stumbling block by saying, if you really, really want to serve God, then you need to know that nobody should ever get married. That's, I haven't heard anybody say that recently, but that's one of those false teachings that's floated around throughout the history of the church and was floating around in Paul's day. This idea that that. Not that God had given sexuality as a good gift to husbands and wives, but that it was just something to be completely abstained from, such that everyone should not get married, and then we can really be holy. That's a stumbling block. It's contrary to sound doctrine. Or this do not taste, do not eat. You know, if you really want to be a good Christian, then you ought to keep kosher. He says, that's that's false teaching. We could go on and on about that, but... Just to say these are some of the characteristics when he says cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught, that's what it means. The teachings contrary to the gospel, the behavior contrary to the law of God that would cause people to stumble. Another characteristic, it says that they do not submit to the lordship of Christ. In verse 18, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. Did you know that Jesus is Lord it's I hope it's kind of obvious right that was kind of like the very first you might call it the very first creed in Christianity it is that those who had come to faith in Christ would declare Jesus is Lord and Lord means master Lord Lord means he I am his slave and happily so I am the servant of his household he is my master I take my orders from him. But those who are spreading this false teaching do not serve our Lord Christ, it says. They may look at Jesus and they may have some kind of a reverence for Jesus that would come out with some sort of words of of admiring Jesus, and yet they don't submit to him as Lord. They might profess that Jesus is Savior. They might have a kind of of admiration for his moral teachings in some way but they don't serve him did you know that you can't have jesus as your savior and not as your lord it's it's simply the case another way to put it is that you can't have jesus as your priest and not as your king jesus executes the office of a prophet of a priest of a king as our redeemer and you can't come to Jesus and say, I'm going to take a little bit of you here, Jesus, and I'm going to leave the rest of you behind. Jesus, I want you to be my priest. I want you to make the perfect sacrifice for my sins so that I can go to heaven. But I don't want to listen to what you say as my, my prophet, and I don't want to obey you as my king. I just want the priest part, please. No, we come to Christ or we don't come to Christ you don't come to a part of Christ you don't come to him and say I just want my sins forgiven and then I want to live however I want no he is the one that we receive in full as Lord and Savior but this is a mark of those who would spread false teachings is that they don't that they just chafe at the Lordship of Christ over them it says that they serve their own appetites in verse 18 they serve their own appetites this is really similar to what he says in Philippians 3.18, as he's warning against false teachers in Philippians. He says, Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. That's what this means by, having, by serving their own appetites or having their belly as their God. It's that their minds are on earthly things. What's their end goal? Well, it's to have the desires of the flesh satisfied. It's to have earthly things come together in some way or another. This is a common thing among false teachers. It's that they have their minds on the things of this world. Maybe maybe when they're, they're thinking of how they would conduct their own lives, what they're prioritizing in their minds is money over integrity or pleasure over purity or maybe they're prioritizing gaining power over serving people humbly maybe they're prioritizing making a name for themselves over making Christ preeminent and it's not just in personal lives it's also how they would want the life of the church to be conducted those who are serving their own appetites when it comes to the church life they might prioritize growing in numbers over growing in Christ-likeness. They they might prioritize doing what works at church over doing what's written in Scripture by God. They, They might prioritize creating a worship experience that pleases people over worshiping God in the way that He has commanded us to worship Him. They might prioritize ways to personally, financially gain from the church over ways that they could serve the church in humility. The idea of serving their own appetites is getting at the motives of the heart. Uh, one time years ago, I did a personal study on the the teachings in the New Testament about false teachers, and uh, there's usually something in those teachings about what it is that's motivating these false teachers. Why are they doing it? And in that study, I tallied up all of those reasons. And I'm just going to tell them to you and how many times they are in the the New Testament. There's one time in the New Testament when it says that a motivation for false teaching can be a craving for controversy. That's interesting, isn't it? There are some people who just really, really enjoy a good fight. And that can be a motive for false teaching. But that's just written there one time. Twice it says that there can be a tendency to treat the Lord's Supper lightly, and to take it without repentance. Four times it says that there can be a desire to get rich. And that's probably the one that you see most often with the the false teachers who show up on TV broadcasts. That uh, they promise you health and wealth if you have enough faith to send them a check. Seven times it says that false teachers are motivated by a rejection of authority over their lives. They're insubordinate people. This is often one of the ways that they spread their false teaching, is saying, don't listen to that guy up there. Let's not submit to authority. Instead, listen to me. Seven times again, it says that they're motivated by a desire to be powerful or influential or admired to make a name for themselves. But here's the number one reason that's given in Scripture. Thirteen times given as a motivation for false teaching, almost twice as much as anything else. A desire to feed the desires of their flesh, their appetites, even sexual desires, various kinds of ugly things like that. It it, it There are some who just say, okay, I want to be in Christ, but I also want to feed my flesh. Let's make a way. And that is a very dangerous path. If you're on that path, you are on the path to maybe becoming a false teacher yourself. If you're on the path where you say, I want Jesus and I want the desires of my flesh, you need to urgently repent right now before you end up on the wide path that leads to destruction. Repent. Another thing that it says about, about these, uh, these false teachers is that they lie in appealing ways. In flattering ways in verse 18 it says that they use smooth talk and flattery to deceive smooth talk and flatter now when we hear that I think all of us think to ourselves "Well, I'd never be fooled by that well but it's smooth and it's flattering that's the whole point even that word smooth sometimes can be translated as plausible or sounds reasonable Wow, sounds really smart. Smooth talk. How do they fool so many people? Well, you know what? If you're not watching for it, if you're naive, and you're getting flattered, receiving all kinds of compliments from a person who seems very smart, you can get fooled. One of the first audiobooks that I ever listened to after, uh, uh, after it started being possible to download audiobooks was about this... Uh, This man who was a con artist who pretended to be a member of the Rockefeller family. So he he moved to New York City and and he went around telling people that that his name was Clark Rockefeller. And, uh, you know, just dressing up as though he were a rich person and going to the right parties and talking in the right way. And and before you knew it, people all over town said, oh, this is Rockefeller guys around. And he managed to get millions of dollars out of people by this and people who would probably say to themselves well i can never be fooled well the bible is warning us right here that there are those who would fool us not just about things of the world like that there are those who would fool us about the gospel of jesus christ and who would say hey you never really knew the truth until i was around here and boy Aren't you somebody who really loves God and is so so, so spiritual, and I, I see God at work in you, flattering you, buttering you up, doing all of these things so that they could then draw Christ's sheep away. Be watchful. Be watchful. It says in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.9, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Pray for God's grace in this. Pray for God's grace to help us to recognize and believe what is true and not what is false. And then it says, They deceive the naive. Verse 18. They deceive the hearts of the naive. That's translated a few different ways in different translations. It could be naive, it could be unsuspecting or simple or innocent. The idea here is that they deceive those who aren't looking for it. Those who assume that anybody who's talking about Jesus and smiling and quoting Bible verses must be somebody to listen to, which is not the case. They deceive the unsuspecting, those who aren't on the lookout. You know, I even heard a pastor years ago who I thought would know better say, well, Joel Osteen uses a lot of Bible verses. And I just went, what? Guys, just because somebody holds up the Bible and makes everybody pledge to it doesn't mean that the false teaching that comes right after that is okay. Joyce Meyer has her own study Bible full of false teaching it, it is not healthy to be constantly thinking that every preacher is a heretic but we knew, do need to be wise and discerning and say what is the actual gospel in the actual scriptures and is that what i'm hearing here so what do we do well we were to obey what jesus said in matthew 10 16 i am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves we got to be innocent as doves, we got to be gentle, we've got to be loving, while we are also wise as serpents, and not naive, and not being fooled. What should the church do about false teachers? Well, these verses are full of those instructions as well. First thing that we ought to do, according to verse 17, is that we ought to know right doctrine, so that we can stand firm in right doctrines. Where do we get that in verse 17? He says, "Will they cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. You know what you need to do? You need to be taught right doctrine. And you need to know right doctrine. You need to stand firm in right doctrine. Stand firm especially in the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, here, here is the most important thing in Scripture is that christ was crucified and was buried and on the third day was raised from the dead and that all who believe in him will have eternal life as he said just lay this out a little bit as it says it in romans a lot of times when we talk about the gospel and summarize what the bible says about this true doctrine the heart of true doctrine the gospel of jesus christ we summarize it with four points And I say these over and over because I want you to remember them for yourself, and I want you to remember them so that you can evangelize other people. These points are God, man, Christ, and response. God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ is the one and only solution. And the response is faith, a repentant faith in Jesus Christ, and he will save those who believe. I just want to show you this here in the book of Romans as he's writing this and talking about the doctrine you've been taught. If you go back to the very, keep your finger at Romans 16. Go back to the very beginning of the book of Romans where where it says uh, that this, this letter is from Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, the good news that is God's good news. The gospel starts with God himself who is the Almighty, the Eternal, the Creator of all things, the Creator of us, and the Judge, the One who determines our eternity in heaven or in hell, we have to know that God is God. That's God. He is holy. And then there's the problem, man. We said God man. Where do we get to man? Well, verse 18 of chapter 1, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth." Uh, you may say, okay, well, in context, those verses are talking about Gentiles who are out and have never heard of of the gospel, who have never heard the law of God. But then you get to chapter 2, and it says, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Or as it says in in chapter 3, Verse 9, what then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Not one does good. Not even one. Or or as it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, what you have there is a holy God and sinful man, and that puts us in a predicament that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God has done something to save us. As it says in Romans 3.24, and we are justified, made right with God by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood. Jesus is the solution, the eternal Son of God who has assumed a human nature, come into this world, lived a perfectly righteous life for us in our place, died taking the full curse for our sin for all who would ever believe at the cross, putting it away, rising from the dead, demonstrating himself to be Lord. He has paid it all, and then that raises the question, how do we receive that? We've got a holy God, sinful man, and Christ is the solution, but how do we receive it? It's the response that comes at the end of verse 25. To be received by faith. To be received by faith. As he says in in Romans 4, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. A faith that repents of sin, turns to Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in Him alone. That's how we're saved. That's the doctrine that you've been taught. Now, there's a lot more doctrine in Scripture that just goes deeper and deeper into that beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and shows you the full extent of the law of how God would have us to live, but also how deeply we've broken it and how gracious He is to us in Christ. We have, throughout all of Scripture, so much to be taken in. And what are you going to do? How are you going to stand firm? How are you going to know what is the doctrine that you have been taught so that you're aware of what's contrary to that? You've got to stay in it. I don't know about you guys, but my brain is a leaky bucket. It is such a leaky bucket. If I say to myself, okay, I've got this subject down, and I go away, and I don't do any reading in that subject for maybe even a couple of years... I come back and I think, wait a second, I thought I had all this down, but it started to drain out. When I think to myself, okay, you know what, I already know a lot about that part of the Bible. I preached a whole sermon series on that book of the Bible. Maybe I could just skip forward in my Bible reading plan. What a silly, ridiculous thing for me to think. My brain is a leaky bucket. I need it. I gotta keep going back there. I have to keep on pouring the scripture into my mind. I have to keep on being taught right doctrine. And I think probably you do too. I know we do. We have to stick with the truth. We have to stay with what we have been taught. If you want to, to have this as, as, as your, not just your responsibility fulfilled, but your spiritual protection, we have to keep ourselves in this book of the Bible. We have to be reading our Bible systematically. We have to be reading our Bible continually. We have to be praying for God's help and understanding. But not only that, you need to be coming to church. And you need to be coming not just to the worship service, but to things besides the worship service where there's more interaction and ability to ask questions and kind of dig in on doctrinal things. We need to read and reread Faithful statements of sound doctrine, like our church's doctrinal statement, the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of 1853, or other faithful doctrinal statements like the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, the Baptist Catechism, things like that. They are so, so helpful for standing firm in right doctrine. We need to have personal conversations with people about the Bible, especially our fellow church members, where we're talking about what is true, building each other up, Maybe you could go to the book nook and get a book. There's good books back there. Maybe you could read it. Maybe then you could get another one. And you could have some of these, these greatest Bible teachers that have ever lived teaching you the Bible and right doctrine as you read those books. This is something where not just for the sake of being somebody who's learned a lot, but for the sake of the health of our souls and the health of our church, that we can all stand firm in this right doctrine, and watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And that's the next thing he said, to watch out for these false teachers. We've got to watch out. This is to be watchful, to look out, to notice, to mark. There, there are common false teachings that we, we know we need to be watching out for. Depending on where a Christian lives in the world, it may be a different set of false teachings that are more prevalent. Where we are, there's Roman Catholicism. There is Protestant liberalism, which means surrendering to culture and putting sort of a Christian face on it. There is the prosperity gospel that's common around us. There are Jehovah's Witnesses that are going to knock on your door. And if you've really shared the gospel with them, they're going to put, put you on the list where they don't knock on your door anymore. That's how you know if you've shared the gospel well with them, they don't come back. In, in other areas, if our church was in Utah, like my friend Kenny, who I'm going to see tomorrow, uh, you you would be constantly on guard about Mormonism, this false teaching that's so prevalent there. I spoke last week to one of our, our uh, a pastor of a fellow fire church in Kenya in Africa, and he was talking about how they have to be on guard all the time for a tendency in their area for people to try to mix witchcraft in with church. And so, you know, we can't predict every false teaching that's going to come up, but but we kind of know the main set that's normal, where we are in our situation. And we, we've got to mark that, and we've got to be aware of that. We've got to watch for that, but we've also got to be so firm in our faith that when a fake comes up, that we can spot it. You've probably heard before uh, that the Secret Service, whose job it is to uh, to watch out for counterfeit money that the Secret Service only examines real money so that they can spot fakes. It's actually not true. They, they look at a lot of fake money. You know, they, they, they look, this is part of their training, is that they look at the counterfeits. They see what are the common ways to do this. What are the common things that are kind of giveaways that this, this was manufactured not by the U.S. Mint but by somebody else. They, they look at that, but they also really, really do have to study the real thing because you never know when somebody's going to come up with a new way to make a new counterfeit. Same for us with our doctrine. We, yeah, we need to know about those false teachings that are common around us so that we can mark them and then we can say we need not to let that slip in. But we also, we just got to go so deep into the true doctrine of the true gospel that even when somebody invents a new fake, which they do all the time, that we can spot it and we can say, let's stay with the true doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches need to do this. Keep in mind that this this letter was written not just to the most spiritual in the church. This letter wasn't written just to the deacons or even just the elders of the church. This was written to the whole church. And he gives a responsibility to the church here to watch out. But he also, in Acts 20, Paul gives an especial responsibility to pastors, to elders of the church to watch out for this. This is something that as, as you are thinking and praying, who is it that the Lord may raise up to be elders in this church? This is one thing to consider. Who is it? It's firm in their faith that would be able to watch out for false teaching and to guard the flock against that. He he says that in Acts 20, that we are to shepherd the flock of God, to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, because he says that I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. So he says, watch out. But this is interesting too. The next thing he says, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is how serious it is. Even those that the Apostle Paul himself may have ordained into the office of elder in the church at Ephesus, Paul says, It is still possible that I could have been wrong about one of you guys, and you may veer off into false teachings. And you need to watch for that. And congregation, let me tell you this, If I veer into false teachings, please fire me immediately. I'll find some job somewhere, selling insurance or something, where I'm not leading a flock toward the fires of hell. Watch out. Watch out. And what does he say? He says, avoid false teachers. Avoid false teachers. Verse 17, avoid them. Now, if, if we were going to read that idea of watching out for those who cause divisions, if we were going to read that to say, okay, everybody unite no matter what, well, then that wouldn't make any sense with the last part of this verse, avoid them. See what's going on here is he, he's telling the church that they need to do something about it when there are those who would, uh, who would lead people astray. Churches should excommunicate false teachers. He says this in Titus 3.10. He gives the method for how this should happen. He says, As for a person who stirs up division, which means a heretic, in fact the King James translates that as as for a heretic, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. What should individuals do though? They should disregard those teachings. Is it possible that maybe one day your cousin might become a false teacher. Yes. And you might still see that cousin at Christmas. And it doesn't mean that you can never go to Christmas dinner again, but it does mean this. You don't listen to their teachings. You avoid that. You don't pretend that they're right with God. You you don't say to them, okay, well, why, why don't you just come and join our church? You say, repent. Cousin, I love you. Repent. And this happens. I think so often we're, we're on guard for false teachers who are, who are famous. And there are very many false teachers who are very famous, especially prosperity gospel preachers all over TV. But the warning that we see here is that these can raise up in our own congregations and we have to look for that. It can be our own family that we love and we pray against that. But we have to have open eyes and prioritize Christ above all. Christ is preeminent. Another thing is is it says, avoid them don't don't soak in those teachings. There was one time when I I had this really, really great quote that I heard somewhere, and I was telling it to multiple people, just encouraging them in their Christian lives, like I don't know who said this, but it's so great. you've got to take this and and put it to work in your life. And then I was about to post it on the internet because I thought this is going to, this is going to bless so many people if I post this quote. And I said, well, I I better double check who it is that said this quote. And so I Googled it. And you know who said it? Robert Schuller. Probably the most famous false teacher of the 20th century. And you know what I said? Delete, 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 delete. I don't care how helpful I found that quote before. I want to forget this by God's grace I can't tell you what that quote was because I did forget it remember I told you my brain is a leaky bucket sometimes that's a blessing and that's what we've got to do with these teachings of the false teachers avoid them avoid them so don't let false teachers be a source of doctrine for you even if occasionally they have some sort of little gem that you find helpful why would you waste time drinking from contaminated water When there's so many fountains that are pouring out the clean truth of the Word of God. But here is the big point. God is gracious to us in Jesus Christ as we receive Him in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He is holy. We are sinful. Christ is the solution. And we receive Him by repentant faith in Jesus. Receive Him and stand firm in that doctrine. And don't be deceived. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our great shepherd. We thank you that you are the one who teaches us what is true. And I pray that you'd help us to stand firm in what's true for your glory and for our good. Father, I pray that you would prevent all of the people who are sitting right in front of me right now from ever becoming false teachers themselves. Lord, I pray that you would give us the kind of humility not to try to promote ourselves and to veer off into things like this, but instead to to submit to the Lordship of Christ and the teachings of Scriptures, even when we have been in error. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. And Father, I pray that you would guard this flock, First Baptist Church of Matawan, by your grace, for your glory. Beautify your bride as we trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.